Welcome back to Africa's a Country Talk. My name is William Shorky, and you are listening to Africa's a Country's weekly talk and interview show on current affairs and ideas from an African perspective as well as a left-wing perspective. If you missed our episode last week, do check that out. That was a fascinating conversation with Dr. Lasan Widraugo on the coup in Burkina Faso. Some of the questions we probed are whether or not this means the end of liberal democracy in Burkina, or if liberal democracy was ill-suited to begin with, as well as what comes next for the country that has been experiencing a destabilizing conflict. Please find that episode on whichever podcasting platform you use, as well as subscribe to AIAC Talk wherever you listen to it. Give us feedback and follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And most importantly, check out Africa as a country for our core business, which is providing you new writing on current affairs and ideas on Africa from a left perspective. Now, today's episode is a very exciting one. We are going to be delving into the lesser known African socialist figure, Pio Gama Pinto. Now, if you've heard that name before, don't worry. It's a name I'm sure a lot of people haven't heard, which is exactly why we are having this episode. And to talk about Pio Gama Pinto, I welcome onto the program Lena Anyuolo as well as Nicholas Mwangi. Lena is a writer and social justice activist. They are a member of the Ukumbozi Library as well as a member of the Organic Intellectuals Network of a social justice movement in Kenya. As a writer and activist, their work has appeared in the Review of African Political Economy, Awaz Magazine, Kenya Socialist, as well as Ukumbozi Review. She's a co-editor and contributor in the series Capitalism in My City, which is published on Africa as a Country. Nicholas Mwangi is a historian, a member of the Ukumbozi Library, an editor at the Organic Intellectuals Network, as well as a co-founder of the Dagoretti Social Justice Center. Now, the reason we have them both on the program is because a new book has just come, come out. It's called Kenyan Organic Intellectuals Reflections on the Legacy of Pio Gama Punto Pinto. And that collection is edited by Nicholas, as well as Luis Maganga, and Lena is a contributor to that edited collection. Now, I just wanna read a brief passage from that, which is written by Shiraz Durrani in the introduction, and it reads as follows. Pio Gama Pinto was born on March the 31st in 1927. He was under British detention and restriction from 1954 to 1959. He was assassinated on February the 24th, 1965. And that is more or less the story of Pio Gama Pinto. So Lena and Nicholas, thank you so much for coming onto the program. As I began the introduction, uh, reflecting on the fact that Pio Pinto is a lesser known figure when it comes to socialist politics and the history of socialist politics on the continent. I was wondering if you could maybe start by telling us exactly who was Pio Gama Pinto. Uh, thank you, William. Uh, I'm glad uh, to join the show. And uh, yes, uh, we did these reflections on Pio Gama Pinto. Uh, Pio Gama Pinto was a Kenyan uh, socialist, a, self, a, a selfless individual uh, committed to the struggle uh, of social justice. Uh, he was a journalist and active in politics. Uh, I think journalist by uh, the fact that he studied uh, the journalism, 
but he was actively involved in politics, not only in Kenya, but also in India, because uh, he went to India when he was just 11 years old uh, and came back to Kenya in 1949. Uh, what that chapter of his life uh, did was to introduce him to the liberation struggles in India. By the time he came to Kenya, uh, India had just achieved its, its independence from British. So it is that perspective that Pinto uh, came with uh, back to Kenya, uh, made huge contribution to the struggles of, uh, of the Kenya liberation struggle and trade union. Uh, actively worked with other trade unions like trade unions like Makansin, Sergio uh, Tubasia, Bidlet Kagia. Uh, these are the individuals whose history has been uh, I think deliberately uh, barren. So Pinto was active in, 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 in that manner. He was active uh, in the Kenya African Union, uh, which was a, the leading organization at the time uh, pushing for independence. So it was a selfless uh, individual committed to the struggle to achieve social justice and socialism, a very ideological uh, person. And you, you just mentioned that his, his legacy has been erased from history. Uh, Lena, maybe you could tell us why is that the case? Why has he been allowed to be a lesser known figure despite the fact that he was active in Kenya's independence struggle. He contributed to both the national liberation struggle through the Kenyan African National Union, was active in, in the labor movement. But in spite of, of his, his contributions, he's, he's been raised. So uh, Pio Gama Pinto was uh, actually the first person to be assassinated by the newly formed independent government. And uh, his legacy, his, his involvement in the Kenya liberation struggle really threatened the, the new government that had been formed. Uh, so in that line, uh, his history, had it been taught and uh, pushed uh, within our syllabus, it, it, could, it would have given a lot of hope to people. But uh, because that hope I mean, there's a lot of despair at the, at the moment. Uh, our heroes are being buried one by one. So for, for me, it just boils down to if his legacy had been pushed, if his legacy had been front and center the way other uh, bourgeois or petty bourgeois um, uh, members of government at that time, then it would have been I'm really anxious. Then it would have been, it would have been a totally different story. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about, about um, why he was so dangerous and why, as you're describing now, he would have been this beacon of hope for for Kenyans. One would imagine that at that time, the the incoming of of independence would have been sufficient to sort of. Uh, tied the national mood for for a while, but uh, if I understand correctly, Pio Pinto was was immediately a, a dissident once independence had been won, and was served in in 
Jomo Kenyatta's government and was very critical of, of Kenyatta. Could you give us an, an idea of, of what his, his disagreements with, with that government were and why, as you say, he ended up being the first uh, struggle hero that was assassinated after independence and, as we all suspect, by the, the very comrades that he had fought with? So, well, he was assassinated the same week that Malcolm X was also assassinated. And they had met with Malcolm X and they were preparing to present a document to the United Nations about uh, crimes against humanity being committed by the American government at that time. And uh, in parliament, uh, him and Ogingo Odinga were preparing uh, a document that proposed uh, a 500-acre cap on land so that no one could own any more land than that. And at the time, uh, the, new, the new government officials were on a land-grabbing spree. So that, would, that definitely threatened their, their legitimacy. And he garnered enough votes uh, with this new law to to the point that had they gone to an election, then uh, the Jomo Kenyatta government would not have been the government that was in ruling at the time. So when we reflected, when we read and reflected on on the book Kenya's and Sang Matter, Piogama Pinto, we then learned about these aspects of his contribution in the new, newly independent government at that time. He called out that there was still poverty, there was still disease. Even if we have independence, this still, these things were still going on. So the Uhuru that had come was only serving a particular group of people and not everyone. So those aspects uh, threatened uh, the he called out that capitalism was still going on in independent Kenya at the time, and no one else was doing that. Indeed, just to uh, concur with what uh, Lena had just said, uh, Pinto, what Pinto uh, understood at the time, uh, the, the liberation struggle had an agenda. Uh, the agenda was to achieve freedom, and not only freedom, but uh, to get the land back, uh, to make life uh, for ordinary citizens much better in terms of uh, healthcare, education, uh, and economy, which which was was key. Uh, but this uh, the agenda of the liberation struggle was betrayed, and uh, Pinto was able to to see this and point it out, point it out. And uh, basically, it was the continuation of capitalism, only with a different face. The British, in go the British going out. Uh, now we have um, Kenyans who are Africans uh, taking over, and the Africanization process uh, basically was just capitalist. And uh, Pinto and, and his other comrades were, were were against this. So it was much of a threat because he was able to pinpoint this. And uh, in which uh, the national question at the time, uh, the direction to, it, it was it, it was taking. Uh, so and uh, and not only that, uh, uh, when the British 
left the country, there's some negotiation with the, with the independent government. And uh, it is said uh, there are some finances given by the British uh, to compensate or to give uh, freedom fighters uh, on how to purchase land. Remember, Kenya at the time entered into a policy of uh, willing buyer, willing seller, which is also outrageous uh, because uh, uh, we are just purchasing land that we, have, we had fought for. Regardless, there was money sent for that uh, purpose. And uh, Pinto was able to, to, find, to find out that uh, the money was misused by few people, key few people in the government uh, for their own benefit, uh, purchasing huge land, large tracts of land and uh, an outright uh, land grabbing. Uh, it is said uh, it was about to expose this. Uh, in the same, the same week he was assassinated, I think the following week, uh, for parliament uh, session. And uh, that's, that's one of the factors that uh, he was assassinated because uh, he was going to expose uh, the misuse of funds that was, that was taking place. Has there been any attempt since his assassination to conduct some kind of investigation that gives clarity on who was responsible for his murder or has this been something that successive Kenyan governments have tried to avoid? Well, uh, immediately after his assassination, um, there were people arrested uh, uh, in connection with his assassination. Uh, but, uh, but I think in that case, that would be the person who put the trigger. But uh, who had the motives uh, to assassinate uh, Pinto? And I think uh, Pinto's death, you have, you have to take it uh, in the in the understanding of the international and local context in Kenya, uh, because at the same time, I think in the 1965, when he was assassinated, the Cold War era was still there. And uh, since he was spearheading uh, socialism and communism, uh, the independent government was heavily backed by the United States and the British. And so uh, his his assassination, has something to do with the imperialism and, and the neo-colonial society uh, at, 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 this, at the time. So we have never knew what, uh, I think we understand, we understand the, the motive, but I don't think uh, the people who pulled the trigger could have been uh, acting uh, on just themselves. So uh, successive governments, I've, I've continued to delay the process, I think, uh, to achieve the uh, uh, justice. Plus, the reason why he's uh, lesser known, in addition to what Moss has said, when he was assassinated, all his documents were destroyed, like everything was destroyed. So, like, even for this book by Shiraz, for Shiraz to compile this book, the first one had been written by Firoz Manji. And uh, up to now, I guess those are the only two books on Pinto that are around. And it's been such a struggle, even Shiraz reflects in the beginning, to collect mm -hmm. all this information about Pio Gama Pinto because of all the networks that he'd formed. Like, I mean, he was, he was, he was a key member of the Kenya Land and Freedom Army Central Committee. He was still um, 
in a sense somehow elite because i mean he was working in an office and all that and he was able to make connections in goa and in the us he was he was waging like the the struggle for liberation on an international scale with all these mm. connections so he was a really really big threat up to then to fundraise they even began the school for a political school and it was through those connections so i mean he was a big deal it was really scary to uh the capitalists <laughs> mm. i was going to ask maybe, a... oh go ahead uh, maybe just uh briefly to add uh, to olena uh, was saying about uh is born uh, pinto uh been released to a footnote in history uh in regard to the to, to the publishing of, of the book which we did, we did a reflection uh Uh, the journey she was reflected uh, the journey to publish pinto's book actually began around 1987 and uh at 1972 actually there was this uh, publishers called panaf books panaf books uh, i think uh, for those uh, who are familiar with their work during the 70s and 80s uh they published uh, books on secuture transfanon and 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 Patrice Lumumba they were planning to do it it was never uh successful uh, it was passed the document the few documents they had it was they were passed to z books uh z books were not able uh to do it then uh, they were passed uh, to vita books and uh vita books uh, now actually through shiraz published the book in in 2018 but uh in 1987 uh shiraz and uh, attempted to write on pinto and uh he wrote an article on a local daily newspaper in kenya uh while uh, it was uh, the university of nairobi uh after the publication i think uh, there, there was there were positive reviews on the on the article on pinto but again uh the special branch at the time uh, began monitoring she was going he had, he had to leave uh the, the country for for safety so it has been uh, a struggle to bring pinto out uh especially to the to the current uh, uh generation uh in kenya mm. i wanted to ask a question about it's 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 incredible to hear the extent to which his records were destroyed and whatever remained throughout history were changing hands and and so on but what's what's especially fascinating about him as an intellectual figure is the way he predicted fanon's famous criticism about the structure of postcolonial states as you guys are describing this idea that um the the comprador bourgeoisie takes over from the colonial power and pursues their own capitalist interests and i wonder do we have any clues as to who were his intellectual influences at the time who were his interlocutors uh fanon published wretched of the earth in 1961 pinto was unfortunately assassinated in 1965 could he have been reading fanon at the time if he wasn't reading fanon who was he reading uh we know of his his activism um but i'm just curious to know what were what was shaping his 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 thinking at the time for for him to arrive at such a a sharp critique of of 
the 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 nature of of post-independence Kenya so soon after it had just been established? Well, I know that they were from reading the book, they were involved in a study cell. Uh, I think the Kenya African Study Union, it was called. Uh, so they were reading uh, material. I'm not sure who it is that they were reading. I don't really remember uh, or who was influenced him. Uh, when he was in prison, when he'd been captured as part of the Kapenguria Six, uh, in the book, uh, his wife, Emma Pinto, says that he used to regularly bring a few Gamapinto copies of Shakespeare to read, and that really helped him like ease some of the debilitating depression that can come with that comes with being in prison. Uh, intellectually, I guess Moss can help with the question. In 1965, uh, Pinto indeed was a, 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 uh, accurately predicted uh, uh, the colonial uh, society. And I think uh, his sharp analysis uh, could have been informed by many, uh, by many, many things because he uh, was active uh, in the struggles in India. Because uh, in 1952, I think, he was the editor of, of, uh, of one of the very, very few newspapers that uh, were against. Uh, colonialism, and it was called the Daily Chronicle, and that's uh, in 52. And uh, I think uh, the struggles in India play a huge role. Uh, there was, there, during his time in India is the time when uh, Mahatma Gavi uh, uh, is there, the achievement of Indian independence due uh, the progressive uh, Jawaharlal Nehru. So, those uh, those were I think uh, played a, a huge huge role, but I think in any in any if, in any ideological uh, to achieve in any ideological clarity, uh, he must he must have studied uh, I think uh, Lenin the likes because it was not very far. Uh, how could you how could you then uh, achieve a, a being a communist if uh, not interacting with such with such literature? Mm. Uh, yeah, communist literature, Lenin, you know, um, Trotsky. So Mao Mao's done was in, in China. So I think also that uh, played a, a, a huge role, a huge role uh, into into shaping into uh, ideological clarity, and we can see. Some some of the things he does later, uh, after getting uh, after getting to power as a member of parliament, is uh, he begins a, an an ideological school called Lumumba Institute, and as Lena said, uh, and the Lumumba Institute was to train Kanu cadres uh, into into having an ideological clarity, and when he was in the Kenya African National Union, he began a study group. Uh, that was studying political, uh, it, it, was, it was more of a political education within the party. Mm. So, uh, yeah, so I think he interacted with a lot of, of, of literature and his, uh, his work as a journalist definitely uh, contributed uh, to what he was able to do. And coming now to, you, you'd already 
spoken a little bit about the enormous difficulty in trying to retrieve the legacy of Pinto from the darkness. Uh, you've spoken about uh, Shiraz's book, which I think paved the way for a lot of the knowledge we now have for Pinto. Uh, could you talk a little bit to us about how this particular book um, that Nicholas, you're an editor of, and Lena, that you contribute to, how did this book come about? What sort of gave you and, and your fellow uh, organic intellectuals the, the feeling that this was a necessary intervention to make to, to try and, and remind Kenyans of, of Pinto from your perspective? Okay, so uh, how the book came about. We met last year in around March for a writing workshop. Like, so some of us who contributed in the uh, Capitalism in My City uh, series met and decided to have a writing workshop so that we can continue like just investigating our surroundings, researching and writing our own stories. And during the workshop, uh, it was suggested that we can begin to reflect on some of uh, the books of freedom fighters that had been written. And we settled on Pinto because already there had been some sparks, some fire that had already been started about Pinto because there was a podcast in Sheng called Until Everyone is Free that told uh, by Stoneface uh, that told the story of Pio Gama Pinto in Sheng, which was really, it was really dope because now the language is accessible. It's really nice to listen to. Uh, and then uh, members of Madari Social Justice Center had gone to his grave and they had started um, a program to kind of uh, maintain his grave. So we saw, it, we saw it good to just build, continue on the efforts of our comrades uh, and to reflect on the book about Pio Gama Pinto. Just to add up to what Lena said, uh, there were already there were efforts, uh, ongoing efforts earlier before we did uh, we began uh, uh, the reflections on Pinto, and so we just took over uh, from there. But also, it is the idea that uh, it is important not to forget our liberation heroes. Uh, those uh, who made freedom for us uh, a possibility. And so we, we thought, uh, for instance, in Kenya, when you talk of left politics, left, left uh, history, uh, yeah, maybe in my opinion, there are two consistent writers who have, who have, who have done it consistently, and that would be Shiraz Durani and uh, Professor Maina Wakinyati. And uh, in, in every in any any production of knowledge, any any system has its own intellectuals. Uh, so if you take, for instance, Bourgeois intellectuals, uh, Bourgeois intellectuals, uh, they create their own they create their own ideology to justify uh, the cause for neoliberalism, uh, uh, to distort history, to tell it from uh, just one. One, one, one perspective. So we thought it, it was important to challenge such, such, such notions. 
and uh, and narratives which are untrue and uh, which support a system that uh, continues uh, uh, to, to oppress us. So definitely the, the 14 writers uh, who gathered uh, in, in last year to contribute on reflection uh, on Pinto, it was just uh, to challenge the narratives because these narratives are, uh, present, present capitalism as, as a natural system with no alternative to it. And uh, since we are in a state, uh, we're in a state of despair as a country, massive corruption, inequality, economic inequality, mm -hmm. commercialization of education, uh, poor healthcare, lack of housing, uh, we try to connect with this and tell uh, they, they, to put in another narrative that can actually uh, proposing a, a different system uh, to capture this. Oh, and and also, uh, we were also in, we were inspired to reflect on Pinto because uh, most of us came from either the library or were involved in like the social justice centers or social justice movement, and the concept of social justice was be is becoming like really co-opted into NGOism and all that and all that stuff and mm. when we picked when we picked on Pinto as a social justice advocate too he was an alternative to the the leaders of social justice that we were being shown because he was rooted in in a strong ideology and so as we reflected on him we hoped to or our 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 intention was to like just create a more uh, to give ideological clarity within our movement uh, to give it better direction to a uh, challenging and the NGOism that is really a cancer within mm. social movements. Yeah. Mm. Could you say more about that, about uh, the rise of NGOization in Kenya? I think this is a problem the world over and and sort of distinguish that from the work that the Ukumbozi Library does, uh, the social justice centers. And one thing that I was curious to know more about is, is why the book is, is crafted as a, as a self-conscious reflection from organic intellectuals. I think that was quite an important thing that uh, the book tries to underscore is that the group of people uh, that have formed this network are organic intellectuals, which is uh, ironic because as you were saying earlier, Lena, you know, uh, Pinto, at least uh, at the stage of his life when he was assassinated, had become uh, petty bourgeoisie. So, so why do you think it's important to to foreground the fact that this is uh, a collection of reflections from organic intellectuals and in relation to to the sort of social justice landscape that you're describing, where one part of it is led by NGOs and the other part of it is is led by by grassroots movements. Um, by people who are advancing a, a, an alternative vision for society, how does yeah, how does that all fit fit together? Well, it, like as you said, it's true. It is a self-conscious reflection because when we met during the writers' workshop, uh, we were struggling with like, okay, how are we going to write? We don't have like the academic accolades that you know the the professors who come to the ground in the ghettos have and all that mm. but we were really encouraged by some some of the videos shared by 
our comrades from Rope, like Leo, who said that we can just try and begin to tell our own stories as we see them, because we live those realities. And in any case, the knowledge that that is produced for the PhDs, for the really big academic books, it's from our lives that we live every single day. Mm-hmm. So we what we can just begin to note that those conditions down and analyze them and not have someone else come and do that for us and make a book or a report that we might never access, maybe because of the language or firewalls or anything of that sort. And it's it's also, I mean, the term organic intellectuals and once will expound is from Antonio Gramsci's uh, reflection of the same that it is, and our understanding of it was that there is, it is someone, an individual who is among the people uh, and who interrogates those conditions and creates like an analysis or a theory and a practice from what you're living. It's not, uh, and it's in service of the work that you're doing. Yeah, so I'll let Moss continue from there. Uh. Indeed, uh, I think uh, the, the idea that uh, intellectuals only come from the academy uh, is, a, is a bit uh, misguided. Mm. So we, 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 we just don't believe uh, uh, in that. Well, we, 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 we took uh, the term organic intellectual actually just uh, to reason it. Uh, the work we do on a daily basis, because uh, the contributors of, on, on the reflections are, are active community organizers. And then uh, who is, who is uh, the best to tell the stories, uh, how it does? And uh, because the issue is, uh, if, if we leave this uh, to people, uh, so-called professionals that come from the outside and interpret it, we have a work that is alienated from the masses. And uh, we want to engage in ideas, not for ideas' sake, but we want to engage in ideas uh, to trigger action. Uh, we're not doing this as a, as a part-time hobby. Uh, this is not a, an intellectual endeavor that we are into. Uh, mm. it's a, we're into a very serious, uh, uh, journey to transform our society, our communities, and that's where perhaps we divorce with the, with the NGO discourse. Uh, its limitations probably reach there. Uh, ours is to trigger more action, to see concrete change, and uh, uh, based on our concrete realities, it, not uh, just to theorize, uh, create abstract, uh, abstracts and vague concepts, uh, on a people uh, without uh, who, who remain without any cha- seeing any change or solution. So uh, we think those community organizers, uh, activists who are based on, on the in these spaces of struggles or sites of struggles, uh, are, be- are best to analyze these situations. And if you if you uh, if you read the, the reflections, William, really, you you notice that they are very simplified. This is not an academic book. Uh, it might not be, uh, it, it, it could have its own 
its own shortcomings uh, if you put it in the caliber of other scholarship books. So, uh, but uh, it's the attitude we have in, in that regard that uh, yeah, we don't care because we are we are not for this doing this for the sake of it. Uh, we really want to to see change uh, from from our work. So, I think that, go ahead. Oh, oh, yeah, my ideas usually come, like, more sparks my thoughts. Plus how it, like, how it counters, how we've countered, like, NGOism is, like, as Mo said, we're not, it's not to engage in ideas for ideas' sake. And if you see, like, from our reflections from uh, living the crisis of capitalism in my city, you can see how as a as a as a network we have really grown because we've studied together and we've moved from now the issue based let's say community organizing to a more mass line or mass work type of uh, organizing trend or organizing method because through this reflection because we sat and we studied and produced this work and it's our own media it's our own it's our own theory that we can use in our study sessions to inspire another generation or another group of activists to keep on writing and keep on in the struggle. I was going to say that the, the only shortcoming of the, of the collections is that it's, it's short. I wanted to read more um, and I thought they were, they were brilliant. Um, <laughs> and I think what, what I find interesting about these, these efforts and and one thing I'm curious to know is, uh, Nicholas, you just described now that you don't pursue ideas for, for their own sake, but you want them to be triggers for action. Uh, it's early days, but I, I'd like to know about what has been the reception of the book so far? What has been your strategy to sort of distribute it? And how does it fit into your broader strategy of political education? Because I think a, a big challenge that a lot of social movements, especially on this continent face, and you alluded to it earlier, just speaking about the gravity of despair and the crisis that is being faced in Kenya and that is applicable to, to other places, is that the levels of unemployment, the levels of inequality, the, the levels of poverty make it very difficult to, to organize. And, and often, in my experience at least, one of the most difficult things to, to persuade people who are, are caught up in, in the everyday struggle for survival under capitalism is to convince people to, 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 to sit down and read and study. I think that at, at first flush for a lot of people, it can seem like this is pointless, that this doesn't uh, translate into anything uh, concrete, uh, no concrete benefits in my own life. So I'm, I'm curious to know how, how do you guys embark on political education broadly? Um, how do you convince people that it's it's worthwhile? And in the publication of this book, what have you noticed the responses uh, to be so far? Uh, well, the reflections are, are great uh, responses. Uh, first, uh, due to, to the simplified nature uh, of the reflections. Now, uh, one thing we, we realize uh, even in the left and the social movements, uh, with the kind of ideology in socialism and com communism that we engage in, uh, there could be the danger of copy pasting uh, the language is 
uh, even in, like the language English uh, itself is a very elitist mm. language. Mm. But, uh, we're trying to organize uh, in, in the continent uh, of Africa. So I uh, realized for those of us who have been engaging uh, consistently into in, in political education, how do we break these big concepts? Uh, even the word uh, imperialism, capitalism, class struggle. Mm. Uh, uh, do, do the ordinary people get uh, to understand this? It's a, it's a difficult. And uh, the reflections, uh, uh, one of the agendas for the reflection is that to simplify theory, uh, to be able to engage masses uh, easily. And uh, it, it's, it's a, it's a, it has been phenomenal. Uh, with different study groups. Uh, I was able to give you know, the book, uh, reflections to my, to my own uh, uh, dad. And uh, he, he was able to understand rather than uh, if uh, we are to take uh, uh, the, maybe textbook Marxism. And, uh, <laughs> so, yeah. So uh, uh, it has made it easier for people to understand, especially in the community. Because uh, what you did uh, and what you just, you just said, now it is difficult to get a group of people just to sit down and uh, uh, have this discussion uh, due to the struggles of just to survive. I think that those conditions are everywhere, uh, are everywhere in, in, in Africa, I think, uh, even in the doubles. But uh, we we don't despair for the fact that, uh, and this this what comes with ideological uh, clarity uh, for for those who are organizing. Uh, if you keep uh, doing this kind of analysis, uh, you don't get demoralized easily. Uh, if you lack that, if you lack the, if you don't walk in, in, into the ideological journey. At some point, this can seem pointless. You can get demoralized and uh, really not see uh, the meaning for continuing uh, organizing, especially for people who seem who do not seem to care, but they're just caught up in the survival, uh, in the concrete jungles of surviving. So uh, it, the, the reflections are an additional literature in our study sessions for political uh, education with the different cells and cadres uh, we have around uh, who engage with. And so hopefully we continue with this, uh, where we continue to break uh, uh, these ideological works to resonate more easily. I also have something to say. Yeah, this is a very engaged, it's really nice, this discussion we're having. So I, when you ask the question is, how do you like, get people, how do you convince people to sit down and read? And what I wanted to say is that there's actually like not much convincing you have to do because there's this poem that I always go back to by Langston Hughes, it's called, I look at the world. And uh, in the end, he says that the world that I, the world that I want, I, we can build it with our own hands. So hurry comrades, the road to find. And if you look at the contributors within uh, like the, the reflection and even in the capitalism city series, the social justice centers like had already begun engaging in some form of reform, reform process with the campaigns on water and on EJE. So there were some little, there were some results that had already begun being seen from some of the 
campaigns that were being done. Uh, therefore, people could see that there's something that we can do. And even during the pandemic, we were still organizing. We were organizing like crazy during the pandemic and we did the march and we did the protest and people could see that there's something, there's something that you can do. There's not much hopelessness. Mm. So let's just engage. Let's move to the next level and educate ourselves and read some more. And yeah, that's what I wanted to say. And, and talking about moving to the next level and, and building the world that we want with our hands, I think that's a, it's a beautiful poem by, by Langston Hughes. One thing that reading the, the reflections that is very clear about Pinto is that he was a man of organization. He emphasized the importance of, of building a strong political organization that is undergirded by a strong socialist vision. So I'm curious to know what are the prospects of, of left-wing organization in Kenya? Could we see, are there any plans to, to sort of amalgamate all of these different social forces, which as you've been describing are doing really important work and are, are grounding their activity on, on campaigns and winning victories for, for people? Could we see those forces come together and form a new socialist organization in Kenya or was it too soon for, for that to happen? Yeah. Uh... Well, right now, of course, having a, like a, a single instrument is our biggest uh, struggle and we'd like to get to that level. Uh, what I can say is uh, some of the prospects that for left-wing organization, uh, like the struggle for food, for food sovereignty is really key on our minds. And we've mm -hmm. seen that because it is connected to uh, the struggle for land, we can easily start to begin to heal and I guess understand some of the oppression that we are in. It's because of the lack of land. So like the ecological justice movement is really, really vibrant and just going around and fighting for green spaces and for indigenous food as we, that's our form. I guess that's the next level of community organizing because it, it really unifies all of us as as one of the most common, the most pertinent struggle of our time, that struggle for land. Yeah, indeed. Uh, I think one of, one of the major struggles, uh, not only in Kenya, uh, I think even some parts of other parts of the world is left unity. Uh, how do you unify, unify uh, mm -hmm. left forces? Uh, we have diverse groups that are sometimes different uh, ideological stance, but we have uh, common issues, and uh, these are uh, uh, key, 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 key common issues. Like uh, what uh, Leonard just uh, said, the issue of land, uh, issue of uh, food sovereignty, and uh, ecological justice. And uh, we have we have had issues where uh, issues that have brought almost all social movements. To one uh, into into one uh, stand, and so we continue to build it. Uh, it's a, I think it's a process. Uh, it doesn't uh, it doesn't it doesn't end. Uh, but I think uh, one of the mo most important aspects that uh, will determine how far it goes, uh, it will be political education. Uh, 
to shape up ideological clarity. And uh, I think ideological clarity uh, is what uh, is what we bring we can bring uh, left left unity. Uh, we can be able uh, to see opportune moments and seize them. Uh, it will only come uh, from having that clarity that you have analyzed our society uh, well. Uh, yeah, apart from that, uh, it continues uh, uh, to be seen. But attempts, attempts are there. I think it's 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 a uh, we're at a good stage and going at uh, the, uh, the right direction. Considering several years back, you couldn't hear uh, of social movements. Uh, they, there was even this saying that. Uh, uh, capitalism came to Kenya and found a home mm. because uh, really, do you if you compare Kenya to other states in Africa, uh, you find the left to be very quiet, social movements to be uh, very quiet. You won't uh, see what is happening in, uh, in in South Africa, or West Africa, or North Africa, in, in in East Africa. But now we can we can talk of several social movements. And, but the idea remains, how do we bring uh, the left unity? So the prospects are there. It's funny uh, that you've just said that some time ago you, you'd look to other parts of Africa and you wouldn't see what's happening. Uh, you wouldn't see the same thing happening in East Africa, but it feels like the reverse situation now where, you know, I'm in South Africa and I'm, I'm looking to you guys for, for the ideas and the inspiration because I feel like we've, we've reached an impasse as far as trying to figure out how to, to build left unity, how to uh, conduct political education and build a cadre. Um, but I think, yeah, it's, it's great to be, to be learning from each other. And, and as the momentum builds in terms of making the left a visible political presence in Kenya, heading into the elections in August, what are the balance of forces who are the, the prospectful political challengers? Uh, Uhuru Kenyatta's term is coming up. He can't run for a third one. Who are the people in the front seat to, to take over? What are some of the hot button issues? And, and how do you think the Kenyan left is, is participating in, in that conversation? And, and is it even an important conversation to begin with? Uh, are elections something that are a focus for the left or or at this stage, is it something that is, is mostly kind of uh, uh, a sort of circus for, for the bourgeoisie and, and one that ignores more pressing issues? Um, well, I can, I can begin to answer that. Uh, yes, the election, we are in an election period right now. And I guess what's uh, slightly different about this one from the rest is that there's a lot of disillusionment like with voting and all that. Plus, I mean, the conditions in Kenya are so tough right now. Like even to think about the elections for some people, it's really hard. Uh, the hopeful aspect of it is that uh, we are seeing like among our comrades, uh, them putting uh, some, of our, some of our comrades putting themselves forward to like vie for some of these electoral seats. And uh, the main, the, the push is, of course, we just see, and we see elections as a tactic towards what we need to achieve. And I learned from uh, reading 
uh, Gasheke Gashi's reflections on using elections as another instrument for political education. Because now people can see an alternative. They'll ask, this person is uh, not talking about the normal issues that we see. And it's even really so sad that in 2022, when there are drones and like phones that fold, that up to now people are still <laughs> asking for the same things like water and land and land it's just pathetic mm. yeah but when someone sees an alternative that there's a candidate who's not giving out uh, handouts or anything uh and is has an ideology an ideological clarity then they see that there there can be an alternative leadership to the ruto and the raila and the challenge right now also is that some of the leftist terms, like there is now Azimio la Umoja, and Azimio is a socialist term uh, among Tanzanians, but it's been co-opted by uh, this Raila Odinga camp, and there was the hustler versus dynasty narrative. So you can, to the outside eye, someone can think like, hey, there's maybe an emerging class consciousness among that uh, crop of people, but it's not. It's just, uh, they're just riding the wave. Yeah, but our comrades who are running, like they're giving, they're showing people that there can be an alternative and that's a form of political education. Yeah, yes, uh, the, the, the elections that have come, come in elections uh, in August uh, here in Kenya, uh, found, find many uh, youths and Kenyans uh, uh, in despair and a state of hopelessness. And uh, you could tell this by the low uh, turnout in voter registration. It, it has been ongoing, I think, uh, is it for a month or it's second month? And uh, as I was saying, we have seen a corruption of the left language uh, mm. with Bujo parties. And uh, one led by uh, the deputy president who would be running uh, for the president's seat. And uh, he uses a philosophy, maybe so-called philosophy, called bottom-up economy, devoid, which is devoid of any uh, ideology. Mm. Uh, he also has another narrative uh, called the hustler versus the dynasty narrative, basically the poor versus the rich. And uh, what, that, what uh, this tells us, uh, for those who are organizing the left, is that uh, the economy has become uh, the bigger issue. It's unavoidable. Uh, the crisis of capitalism uh, is reaching a, a boiling point where we have to talk the language of the masses uh, to be able to, to get to them. But they have the resources to do it, so they walk or run a bit faster than the left, uh, who with limited resources are not able to do maybe a countrywide uh, political education or to, to bring clarity to most uh, uh, to, to the masses. So they're able to confuse uh, 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 the masses by reducing these slogans into populist uh, slogans. Mm -hmm. And like Leonard said, uh, on the issue of uh, Azimio Laumoja, uh, Azimio being a very progressive one, which is now being uh, used by the other side of the, another, another Bujo party uh, led by Raila Odinga. And uh, as you know, Moja, as you know, as you know uh, in, in Tanzania is a very progressive uh, word, even in the left, I think, uh, 
globally. So uh, we have we have seen this, and uh, there's the danger of that uh, because uh, deliberately uh, misleads people. They look, they have created, they have created an outlook where they, it's a, it's a pro people outlook, but uh, it's not, uh, and uh, we know this. In that regard, we have comrades uh, from several social movements that uh, are participating in the elections. And uh, hopefully, uh, most are going for the, I think the basic uh, seats, uh, uh, which is, a, we call it MCA yeah, for member county. Yeah, yeah I think it's the lowest uh, seat. And uh, other unification uh, uh, attempts have been done because uh, in last year there was uh, the formation of United Progressive Front, and it included uh, three parties: uh, the Communist Party of Kenya, uh, Ukweli Party, I think United Green Movement, and uh, all those all the three parties. I think uh, and. Uh, and the one progressive front to be participating in, uh, in these elections. Uh, <clears throat> the argument for most is that, that uh, sometimes accumulated uh, reforms uh, can rupture a revolution. But uh, yeah, that uh, remains to be seen. So definitely uh, uh, members of social movements, uh, the left, uh, participating, some are participating in elections. Some are not, and I think uh, uh, those who are not uh, participating uh, are questioning whether we are uh, indeed a masters uh, to really to make a difference uh, in Abuja uh, elections. Also, uh, what does uh, democratic uh, reforms in a neo-colonial uh, structure of society? Uh, really, uh, really mean, and so uh, there are diverse opinions uh, in, in that regard. Uh, in that, uh, we have seen uh, left forces. I think historically, even in Kenya, when you're talking on on, on Pinto, reflecting on Pinto, uh, some never living up to their promises and expectations. So. It remains to, to be seen how far uh, reforms can go. Uh, then, as uh, I said, uh, participating in this election as a tactic uh, to continue on the struggle. Because if you sometimes you don't participate, uh, uh, you don't give an alternative voice, it's also a bit uh, uh, problematic. And thinking about some of the, the issues that are forefront in in people's minds uh i'm curious to know about about some of that i think police brutality i think in in kenya has been a uh, a big issue the the rising rates of of gender-based violence and and so kind of mirrors south africa in terms of how these issues are, are both pervasive um in society uh, are, are those on the electoral agenda at all, or you know, as 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 kind of Black Lives Matter and all of these these moments, which gave 
international and domestic attention started to to wither um has that kind of receded into the background or is it still uh something that people are are debating about and, and concerned about it's still there uh like with the beginning uh the major campaign was on like police shooting people and killing them but now like they've as as that became more as we highlighted that type of brutality then they switched tactics to enforce the kidnapping people and killing them so the debate is is still going on uh whether it's an issue on the electoral agenda like it has to be fought police brutality and gbv have to be fought as a collective it's mm. difficult to fight those issues alone uh in kayole where one of our comrades is running like some of the female comrades are, who are running are being threatened by the police they're raiding their centers and like asking for like where material where some of their funds are being gotten so that's a form of uh, agenda targeted violence that is being faced by some of our female comrades who are running and and maybe as a as a concluding question because well, we are running out of time but i could i could talk to you guys forever just to get a an insight into into kenyan politics and how the left relates to it what's next for for the organic intellectuals network how if one is is interested in in your work can can we keep up with it um and what should be yeah, what should we be on the lookout for uh so at the moment we have an upcoming reflection on silences in ngo discourse by uh, professor isa shivji as well as a reflection on mau mau from within by kararin jama so that's just more reflections and more political education yeah mm. uh yeah uh i think we have uh, two three more publications uh, uh c- coming out uh, based on the reflections uh we i think uh we will just keep inter- intensifying our work, uh based based uh, on organizing uh we we'll do a lot in terms of um, the tone we writing but also uh uh some short documentaries here and there uh whatever amplifies uh our organizing uh in the social movements uh we are, we are going to do so we are definitely going to intensify the work we do organizing whatever Excellent. I wish you both all the best as you do that and thank you so much for for coming onto the program. A reminder to everyone I've been chatting with Lena Anyuolo as well as Nicholas Wangi. Nicholas is the editor of a new edited collection called Kenyan Organic Intellectuals Reflect on the Legacy of Pio Gama Pinto and Lena is a contributor. You can find that collection out with Daraj Press. please do purchase a copy you'll be supporting the work that Nicholas and Lena get up to with the organic intellectuals networks and with the various social justice centers in Kenya 
Um, and I, I think the upcoming reflections that are going to come out sound really exciting. And this one on Pinto is a must read. So do acquire a copy and check it out and like and subscribe to Africa's a Country Talk to listen to more engaging conversations on current affairs and politics on the African continent from a left-wing perspective, as well as follow Africa's a Country on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, probably TikTok at some point. Uh, who knows, that seems like the next frontier to reach people, at least for a generation that is many, many layers below mine. Um, and thank you as, as our listeners for, for tuning in every week. Uh, it's been an honor to, to host Lena and Nicholas this, this afternoon. And I'll catch you again next week for another episode. Goodbye. Mm -hmm.